0: Let me tell you a story. Podcast number one hundred thirty-two.
1: It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years it ago. Was the age of never mind. It is a how truth universally acknowledged. Happy you, know. you, know. you, know. you don't know about me without you.
0: Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat. Step onto your favorite fitness machine or a lace of your walking shoes and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. We experienced technical difficulties with this podcast, and we apologize for that. But you should be able to understand what is said and to enjoy our guest.
2: Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Our guest today, Richard Madison has been with us on a couple previous podcasts. We're honored he's taken the time to join us again. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Today, we'll be talking about Richard's new book, Living a Principled Life, subtitled, Uncovering 80 Universal Principles of Life in Areas of Character, Conduct, Confidence, and Community That Can Change You. That's a mouthful, but before we discuss living a principled life, I'd like to give listeners an idea of Richard's background. As an associate professor at Liberty University, he taught in the religion division for five years and coordinated the 300 plus student ministry pastoral majors while gaining two master's degrees from Liberty Seminary. He also taught pastors in India, Australia, and Peru. He's been involved in student ministry, singles ministry, marriage ministry and educational ministry within churches. For six years, he wrote the Beginning Again monthly column for Portland Family Magazine, which focused on divorce and remarriage. His West Side Divorce Recovery Program ran for 11 years and experienced over 700 attendees. Out of that evolved a single parents care group and a four session blended family marriage class. Throughout his life, he's continued to deepen his understanding of the Bible and believes it to be the most essential resource for life. Richard's life purpose is to encourage, teach, and challenge people. And that's what he's doing with Living a Principled Life.
0: Richard, you've taught about every level of student except preschool, but this is your first book. What inspired you to write Living a Principled Life?
1: Well, that's somewhat a long story, which I'll try to cut it down. When we went to Dallas, uh, we got into a church that had small groups and we were attending a small group one day. The weeks before that, we had, we had moved away from all but one of our children. And I was concerned about the whole idea that I didn't have a spiritual influence with them. I was at this small group meeting and the guy who was leading it got me off the side. and He says, Hey, I just started doing this really interesting thing. He said, I, I read every morning in the Bible and I pick out a verse and I send it to my kids who are all adults. And I said, God, are you speaking to me? <laughs> <laughs> because I said, I could do that to my kids and help them. And obviously I started to do that and I did it for seven years, uh, 1485 today's words. I have them all listed, on a website and uh, can be searched and all that. So I did that. And then as I stopped doing that, and the real estate got real busy, I I was thinking, I wonder if there's something here that I did not see when I initially wrote these. Hmm. And so I began to gather them together into groups. And I found that I had 22 wonderful principles related to a community, you know, and that would be a small group or maybe a church and things a pastor could preach through to really talk about community. So those were easy to define. And then I looked and found some that were character related, character like faith and godliness and whole honesty and loyalty and that kind of thing. So those all came together. And then obviously conduct follows right after character. So they were easy to find things that were basically conduct. That was the result of character or no character. And uh, so I had all those put in quadrants in buckets and I was left with about 50 or so of the ones that I uh, identified and like hope and joy. And I just thought, what what do all of these things have in common? And I came up with the word confidence. They build them into a person, hope and joy filled and liberty, having liberty and living wisely, all those things. So that's how I got to those words. And then it took me about a year and a half to hone what I wanted to do and then get in connected with a book dealer after I had put all it together and then refined it. So it's a it was a long process, but I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm looking forward to the second book, the second volume, which is half written, which is all negative words and what the results of negative things in your life are. And just think of some of those negative words. That's <laughs> like, I want to oh, yeah. buy a book that make me negative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I guess it's well, for I, a person who really wants to, you know, to grow. And it, it, if they have the other book, obviously it's a twin to it. Sure. That's a good idea, too.
0: You see negativity every day.
1: Yes. Well, and I'm assuming you
2: will balance. You won't just say buy both books. I mean, in the second book, you will explain uh, the answer. To the corrosion, yes. the negativity.
1: Yes. And that's why we identified it as the corrosion area, the fifth C in our process, four in the first work and one in the second. And I think that corrosion is what happens within the context of a life when they start being jealous and greedy and bitter oh. and all prideful and all those really negative things that we see a lot of. And I'll just name one category of people. From uh, politicians. <laughs> you know, so I, I won't go to the others, but there's plenty of room for pointing the finger at a lot of other places too. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering you cover so many topics in the book,
2: some I'd never thought of as principles, like clarity or resilience. How do you define principle?
1: And I think a principle is something that you look at, you develop. And then you begin to live by that principle, a, a principle of clarity. I, when I uh, took some coaching classes, the first class I was in in coaching at Western Seminary, I sat there for the three hours that we were in that first out section. And I thought, this is nothing but 21st century coaching is nothing but 21st century discipleship. And in the midst of that, they ask us to make a purpose statement. And my purpose statement in coaching was clarity. You have to have clarity before you can un- really see possibility. Because if you don't have clarity, your blinders are on or your your vision is too wide. And then so clarity became my first point. And the second point was uh, possibility. Because if you have clarity, you can look around and you can say, hey, I can go this way or this way. And maybe the third way. So there are some possibilities if you have cleared up all that stuff in the beginning. And then uh, that leads you to action. So clarity, possibility, and action is the way I coach individuals. So I coach a lot of men because I'm really trying to help them where I wasn't helped when I was in the younger part of my life and where I see a, a lot of men are just independent and they're not doing anything and they need clarity. They need the what are the true possibilities, which a lot of them are right here in these four areas of, of the book. And then they need to know how to move to action. So I think clarity is, that's why I put it in there. I think it's, it is It is real principle that leads to an openness in your life. And then you apply the principle and then you can move forward. Great.
0: Hey. You were looking through your own writings and found these four areas and now five. What if you found another one that didn't fit into the categories? <laughs> Especially if yes. I didn't start with a C.
1: But. <laughs> well, that would be totally disappointing. <laughs> I might have to go to start reading my uh, dictionary. In, in a C. What, what is really interesting, I, I, I am looking for that. When you think about it, these are 80 principles, and some of them I wrote several different today's words on. But there are 1,485 today's words so wow. there's plenty of room for other things to be, to happen, but in the context of finding something, I was reading through James, and James uh, 2, one, which talks about no favoritism, don't have any favoritism, and then he tells this story about the church, and you're letting the rich person sit in the front row, and then you're sending the people uh, to a chair in the back, or on the floor, and that was uh, an issue of impartiality, I use that word instead of favoritism, Mm, and and, uh, that word began to grow in me, and I have over 40 verses from Genesis to Revelation that talk about the impartiality, and God is not favoritistic. He offered his gift, and here we are at Passover time and Easter. He offered that to everybody. So I'm finding things, even within what I wrote, that are new to me, that I I live by now. It is a principle that I try to emulate, and that is to be impartial to people. It's fascinating. In in a way, looking at the
0: book, even the table of contents, you see 80. I mean, that could be overwhelming at first. Like, oh, I have this many things to work on? (laughs) And if you even... If you even take a week, as you suggest, and I think it was in the book, you suggest that that would be very difficult to, it's kind of like memorizing. You have to initially memorize, but you have to keep going back so you don't forget it. So if you pile up 80 and you're still going back, you would obviously be a better person. But that would take a lot of discipline I don't remember if discipline was in that. It's probably in the character. Line. Yes, it but, is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> but somebody would have to want to, to, to get all that done
1: and it'd be right. very and worthwhile. Yes. And the definition, you know, I put those parentheses beside each word. I put a parentheses because I wanted to define it the way, you know, I wanted to work out of a definition and the definition for discipline was faithfully attends to his body, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that uh, the word faithfully also helps. But let me kind of pull you back a little bit and say there were 162 to start with. Okay. <laughs> and then I dropped it to 90 and, <laughs> in these categories and said, uh, I began to look at the word count, which is 84,000 now. And mm. I, and it was over 90,000. I took 10 out. And so that I got to 80. And that's why I put in the, uh, that's why it's very important to read the preface or the forward and the introduction, because I have a good friend who wrote the forward. And then when you read the introduction, what I'm saying in there is, this is not a book, this is not a novel that you can read once and you kind of got it, because it's one storyline. This is many storylines, and this is a book, a workbook in a sense, and that's why we added the key takeaway at the end, and that's why we added the question for you as an individual, you as a family, and you as a church or a business, because I think a lot of these principles apply to business also. Oh, yeah. So when you pull back and say, hey, you have 80, that's a lot. I said, yeah, it still (laughs) is a lot. I read through the book once a month, and I think the thing to do is to say, I'm going to read till I find something that I really attached to. I want to attach to, and I want to discipline my life to, to grow in. And then I'm going to stay there
0: mm. and
1: I'm going to expand. Like I can, I have my book with me and I can open it up to the chapter, the essays that I, I have in there. And I have all kinds of other references that I've added since I printed the book. Mm. So I think that's the wonderful thing about when you establish, and that's the picture on the front. The Bible is at the root of all these principles. And that's the picture that we put on the front of the book as a tree with fruit. And you have to discipline yourself to get in there. But also, I think the spirit of God is involved whenever the word of God is involved. So he can attach to a life and say, you know, I don't think you've ever counted the cost. Maybe you need to read through that a couple of times. Maybe you re- read those sections that are uh, identified there and then think. When did I not count the cost? Because I have illustrations of that that I didn't put in the, the book. <laughs> $5,000 I loaned to somebody, and never got it back. And other, other things like that when you think, okay, am I willing to count? Am I in counting the cost? Am I willing to lose it and not be, lose a friend?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's a lot of it's deep. You
0: say these principles are universal, part of
1: God's creation. How does that play out? Well, that's an interesting word. And it's there because uh, I believe that God is involved in every conception on earth. There's so many ideas of that, so many pictures of that in the scriptures where Sarah couldn't have a child and then she has a child. And Mary and the, the Immaculate Conception and then other places. So God's desire is for mankind to move forward he establishes not only gravity and water and other creates water and other things, invisible and visible things, germs, and all of that. But I think he establishes principles that we can live by. And therefore that's why I called them principles. And it's also saying God wants every human being to excel and do their best and be used in some way to benefit society. Now, I'm not talking about a believer here. I'm just talking about a human being. And obviously we have some people who didn't do a very good job of that like Hitler. But there are others that have done wonderful jobs whether they were in art or music or speakers. They they had a talent that was a natural talent and I believe in the strength finders system which has uh, 34 talents and you can develop that and you can learn about that and all that. So So God does that for a human being, and then he also, for the church, says, we're going to give you spiritual giftings. So God, when you're a believer, you have not only the talents that you've been given by God at at the conception of your life, but you also have these other things that are of benefit to a larger group of people that are all focused on one person, Jesus Christ.
2: We talked about this a little bit, but in the book you divided the principles into four areas. Please tell us about those four areas and why you feel the principles
1: can be categorized. Well, it's a matter of a couple things. First, uh, having eighty in the book and not not being able to give people a rest, or uh, you know, being able to jump to something that they need. So we we broke them into those categories, and I do think there are specific character principles and all my writing in the previous today's words, I came out of scripture. And as I read one day, I would then think, and if if I felt like I could put four or five paragraphs together on that, then I would do it. And there were a lot of like diligence and blameless. I think those are character qualities of people and loyalty and persistence and self-control, trustworthiness and being wholehearted i think those are the deep issues of the heart and jesus said out of the heart the mouth speaketh i say i would even go further and i think he might have said this too out of the heart comes a life and what does that life look like it really goes down to that so we started with character because that's kind of the deepest part and then you have to tie character to conduct conduct used to be the fourth c and i think i thought it was too far away from character I need to have it next to character and conduct is merely the way we live it out. We live out our character. So, and then confidence, we do need confidence. We're right now, we're a country that's struggling with confidence because we just don't have anybody to look to for leadership. And we've found some wonderful individuals in spots in the nation that uh, give us confidence, but uh, being able to have discretion and hope, and be joy filled, uh, peaceful, mature. I'm reading a book right now, which is called Emotional and Spiritual Living. And what he is this is a pastor who's lived, telling his life story, the New York pastor. And what he's actually saying is, you can't get to spiritual maturity if you emotionally are immature. And uh, out of all the things emotional, financial, mental, physical, Emotional is the longest trip to success. It takes the longest and uh, is difficult. But if you can marry emotionality and spirituality together, I think the spirit of God can help you in that trip. So that's confidence. And then the community were just logical. I I don't know. We have a lot of small group stuff and a lot of people talking about community. And there was a great guy in Chicago who I've got tapes from. It was wonderful. And uh, I just felt like I needed to define what community really is. And one of the words in community that we use is fellowship. And if we, if you and I use that, it would be saying, yeah, why don't you come over to our house and let's have fellowship, which meant we ate together and we we talked a lot, maybe we watched a game or something like that. But the word fellowship is used as one of the four words in Acts 2, what they what the believers started doing. And so for me, the picture of fellowship is getting with a group of people and sharing your heart and having them pray for you, having them comfort you, having them continue to walk with you through whatever you're walking through. That's fellowship. That's spiritual fellowship.
0: When you wrote this, and I know you said you, you chiseled it down to the 80, It's still... Is about 350 pages, and you talked about this a little bit, but were you thinking somebody would just pick it up and read through, or were you hoping that they would find that one or two or whatever
1: and work on those qualities? I was hoping that they would, that the cover obviously is very important, and living a principled life, I think, is something that is very not talked about at all anymore, and I, th- I thought that that might be helpful. And then the, cu- the you know, the underline of uh, uncovering 80 universal principles. I thought that might catch catch some people to get them into the book. And obviously, it is a chore to go through all of them. Uh, I, I even admit that. And that's why they're short. One of the things I said in the introduction was, if you're interested in this area, this will this will be the primer. And then you have to do some work on your own uh, to I- expand it, to make it walkable out of your life. So that's that's kind of as much as I can do. I know it's it's a large book, but I just couldn't see going over 400 and I, c- I couldn't see getting enough information to the person to give them a good primer. So that's what we did. Well, it's
0: done well. Is that the word? good? Well, it's a good job getting it well. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> because they are short, and even though there are lots, um, it's not like one a day. It's not like you have 365. And they're short. They're uh, concise, I guess, uh, is, is the word. And so probably somebody wouldn't start out and say, okay, I'm going to read this book. Like you say, it's not a novel. But it would, at any point in their reading, any place, it could it could hook them. It could now. Yeah.
2: Right. Oh, and I think you said you have, in your introduction, just ideas for how people can use the book. Um, yes. Right. Like for a daily reading or for a Bible study or even reading to their kids, right?
0: I liked one after dinner dessert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was a joke. <laughs> but, I mean, no, I, meant, I meant it to be something that somebody would go after dinner Pete, whoa, or on a date. Yeah, yeah. see somebody. Yeah, that that was why I did that. But I, I really felt like uh, one that's been added to it. I, uh, I have a pastor friend who bought the book and he said he and his wife read it as a devotion and then they can get into a discussion. It's meant to prime the pump of discussion. And so it could be used in in any kind of a setting of when I set out to write it, I said, I I had a problem when I was early in my life of just dumping information on people, whether it was a, a preaching setting or in a college setting. Yeah, here's the wheelbarrow, take it and go with it. And I think mm-hmm. I, I missed the point of story. And uh, you guys know that very much. Tell me a story. I mean, I'm just convinced. And therefore, I said, I can't do these principles as just a bunch of data. You can change a person's heart by a story as opposed to just giving them more facts. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, as I wrote, I let the spirit of God lead me to the right stories. And maybe sometimes it was only one or it was three small stories. And the reason for that is because one of the things I said, I think you can read the stories to a child. At bedtime or you can read the stories at the the dinner table and discuss them i have a man that i'm coaching right now that's like we're in our second year and uh, spiritual coaching and he was sitting with me about six months ago and said my wife and i want to teach fourth and fifth grade students theology and i thought well that's really interesting that's the time to get them So that that's impressed on them early in their life. And then, you know, instead of doing what we do with elementary kids and junior high or middle school kids and high school kids, have them on different things all the time. Instead of saying, we're going to do this and we're going to just reinforce it and expand it all the way to 12th grade. Now, if you had something like that, that they understood the 10 tenets of theology when they were in 12th grade, could they defend themselves? In a college setting, absolutely. So I went home and I said, what are the stories in the Bible that I could use to explain the persons of the Godhead, to explain sin, to explain all these things? And uh, I've done that now, and I'm working it through with another coach. We're just kind of making sure everything's in the same part. But there was a story in the Bible about a man who built a vineyard. And he put a tower in it, he put a wall around it, and then he got some people to rent it, lease it, you know, so that he wouldn't have to stay there and do all the work. They would get that, and then they would pay him, according to what I found in the first century, 50% of the profits would go to him. So he sent a number of servants on individual trips, and some of them were beat up, some of them were killed, some of them were sent back to tell them, you know, don't come again and then he sent his son and they killed his son and i just say that is the story that describes jesus christ as the second person of the trinity and then the parable of the gentleman who had two boys it's oh. it's really not the prodigal son it's the loving father is the is the, is the story and he has two prodigals one stayed at home one went away and interestingly enough when the when the son blows all of his money and comes back on the way back. He's, he's, you know, working through how he's going to do this with his dad. And, you know, he says, I'm going to confess that I did wrong and that, uh, that I want your forgiveness. And I just want you to make me a servant. That's what he said. When he got there, when his dad saw him, he ran to him. He put a robe on him. He put a ring on his finger and he put sandals on his feet. And the dad would not let him talk about being a servant because he was a son. And that's the picture, that's the story for God the Father. This is a good time for reading. This is the peace principle, which comes out of the confidence area. In the book, and uh, it starts like this, the very nature of the word peace creates visions of trickling streams and crystalline lakes nestled between white cat mountains or. People smiling and clasping hands and walking together chaos in this world reflects the loss of peace in individual hearts and requires the settlement of grievances by hostile parties and opposing factions. This is a tough job, but it is something to be desired personally, something to be dedicated to in your life, and something to encourage you, courage in your neighborhood, city, state, or nation. The Bible reveals peace as being three-dimensional, like a cube. There is height to it, for it reaches into the third heaven where God eliminated the barrier of sin, which has separated us from him. This peace was achieved for us by God's son dying on the cross, but is conditional on our personal acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is a depth to it, for it reaches into a person's heart, into their inner being, and calms the soul once at war with God. And there is a width to it, as it spreads to our relationships with others and extends the possibility of God's peace to all the world. It is worthy noting that inner peace is necessary to advancement in spiritual growth. If you are perpetually in doubt of your salvation, then it will be hard for you to grow as a Christian, because that doubt nags at you when you desire to grow. Your inner voice says, why? You don't even know if you're a believer, so why try to be a better one? The peace with God must be assured before the peace of God can mature. Your spiritual growth depends on your assurance of salvation. The height and depth previously referred to constitute constitute peace with God, bestowed on each person at the instant of salvation. Paul said, since we have been made right with God in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Peace isn't found in the absence of conflict, but in the presence of both the recipients and the dispensers of forgiveness. Peter said in his message in Acts 10, This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The second is the peace of God, which is an inner tranquility achieved by conformity to his will and progressive yieldedness to the Holy Spirit living within. Paul wrote concerning this to the Philippian Christians, don't worry about anything, instead pray. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The psalmist declared concerning peace, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. And Isaiah, in a song of praise, wrote, You will keep me in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. The key takeaway from the principle of peace is peace is not an ethereal thing. It is an experienced calm that expands from the depths of the soul to the outward expressions of your face. There is nothing you can do to own it. It is given by God so that you can have peace with him and have the peace of him. This is only found in becoming a believer. All other peace is circumstantial and subject to change at any moment.
2: That's so good.
0: It is good. Thank you. So Richard, we've talked about this book, this first book, but you have another one coming, Volume 2. Why don't you tell us some about that, and then tell us how listeners can purchase your books.
1: Okay, well, thank you for this opportunity, and we are working on Volume 2. Volume 1 was all about positiveness and the benefits of living that kind of principled life, where Volume 2 is living the kind of life that is unprincipled and causes you great problems. And we've used those C words, character, conduct, confidence, and community to even relate to those negative words. Just to give you an idea, in the area of character, we're talking about dishonesty or or foolishness or hypocrisy or liar or proud or selfish. Points of character which will get you into deep trouble and can cause a lot of pain in your life. And those kinds of principles flow out in conduct. And some of those words are anger and betrayal and complaining and complacency and flattery. So they all have eventual bad things that happen when you are involved in them. And then we have some confidence. The opposite of confidence is anxious, fearful, doubting, full of guilt, regret, and shame. And then community obviously, uh, you can tear a community apart with a false witness, you can tear it apart with envy, resentment, prejudice, stumbling blocks, stumbling stones, as the word of God says. So we want to make the comparison, and there's only 43 of them. So it's a small <laughs> if I don't write it, if I don't write it real soon, it'll be 80. Keep finding those too. But but Tying volume one and volume two together gives a person a picture of what uh, a good life and what a life that is going to cause nothing but problem is about. And we, we really need to see both of them. And uh, that's why we're going for the second book. Now, my, my book is available at my name, Richard C., as in the middle initial, Madison, M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com. And there's a reading there that's available to them on impartiality, one of the 80 principles. And there's other information on that I, that I put on that. And then there's a place where they can actually buy the book.
0: Okay. So go to that website, Richard C. Matteson, M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, books.com. Right. I just wanted to say that
1: a little slower for those right. writing. And <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I put an S on the end of books because that is an encourager to write. <laughs> <laughs> Since there's only one book at it right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of alliteration to the sidebar here. One Mother's Day, the pastor spoke on, well, it was topical. So, But he had 17 points and they all started with P. Others are productive, I don't know, whatever it was. I don't remember any of the points. I just remembered by the time that sermon was over, we all had to P. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, that Psalm one, yeah, that's that's a lot. And I think the psalmist, you know, the psalmist 119 has a, the alphabet of the, the Jewish, and he writes a eight lines on each one and i'm going my goodness what a person (laughs) yes i
2: didn't realize it was the same amount of lines
1: for each one it's interesting i believe so yeah i
2: have to look at it um so you have a website if someone wanted to get in touch with you
1: would they go through the website or do you have an email address you'd like people to use yeah, it, they probably could just go to my e- email, uh, and it's going to say realty on it because I'm 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 a real estate agent. But they can send it to R. Madison, so just the first name initial R. Madison Realty at gmail.com. I'd love to talk with people, and uh, if they want to buy a book that way, I would be glad to send it to them too authorhouse.com also has it available because that's where we printed it from we created a website so people could go there and uh, they're sent to authorhouse from there to to buy it or they're sent to Amazon or Google or one other
0: well thanks again Richard for joining us we wish you the very best with Living a Principled Life Volumes 1 and 2 Thank you guys, I really appreciate it. Okay. It's been fun.
2: Thank you for a fun interview once again for our listeners. Uh, Richard's website is Richard C Madison. That's with an E. And we'd love to hear from you.
0: Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at BeckyLyles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.